Yes, sir. So I'm like a historian. A lot of people aren't history people, but I'm a big church history people. So I want a record of everybody. We're going to do a, a kind of a panoramic thing eventually. So these two sections say cheese. I'm not hearing you. Okay. All right. I think I'm, these two sections, that means you're, this is your second time. Here we go. Yeah, okay. Y'all are lousy. Okay, uh, these, uh, these two over here. You're going to thank me for this one day. And then over here. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. All right, so uh, I just want to be able to put, we're going to put this all together one of these days and see who all was here. Didn't get to do that this morning, and that really hurt. But um, th there's a lot of people who don't think history is all that significant, but I'm one who really, really cherishes it. It's a sentimental thing with me, but it's also kind of a continuity thing uh, that everywhere we go, we carry around with us those people who contributed us to getting where we are at the moment. Uh, those of you who are not, then you won't be interested in this, but later on here after about 30 minutes after we uh, close or maybe 15 minutes after we uh, conclude this service, I'm going to bring back uh, those people. David's going to be, I'm going to make sure he gets up here. He's got kind of a hurt foot. I don't know if you see him hobbling a little bit, a little bit of a hurt foot. And, and he almost, almost yesterday said he might not be here, which would have been a disaster, right? So, so we prayed a little extra hard and made him stay off his foot, and, and he's able to be here. But if he doesn't get to finish the sermon, I've heard it once already, I'll finish it for him. Anyway, so don't worry about that part. But he's going to be up here, and Terry and Danny... And, and Randy, I don't think, is here, but if he were, we'd have him up here. And someone, uh, uh, Wesley, and maybe a couple others or whatever. We're going to have them as a panel up here, and I'm going to start peppering them with questions, and you all can ask, ask whatever you want to about those, those years ago. And it's not been that many, 15 years ago, when all this started and that whole amazing thing of how Valley View began. They're going to be here to tell some stories that you would probably never write down necessarily, but that's significant. If you don't like that sort of thing, stay away, okay? I'm not going to feel like I have to entertain you, right? Go out there and, I don't know, make animal balloons or, or something, you know, paint faces or whatever. But if you're interested in that, come and sit like in the first three or four rows all the way across. We're going to have chairs set up. And I, we're just going to hear some of that story. And when we decide it's getting boring, we'll tell them to quit, right? Uh, the stories need to be told because these guys aren't going to be around forever. And because of that, we need to hear them and appreciate where we came from. We thought about this, it's 15 years, what do we do? It's a real easy call. You get David Gibson back. Here's one guy who has a love for the truth, it's very obvious. He has a love for the lost and he wants to reach every single person he can. He has a strong connection to Jonesboro, he has all his life. Some of you can tell the stories of how rambunctious and annoying he was as a little kid and how the fact that he's a preacher is almost a miracle. That's what I hear from people. That's stuff I don't know. It's just that I've heard from everybody I've ever heard talk about it. But when you hear him preach, he has an energy and an excitement and intensity, a passion that just comes out. And not only does it come out, it jumps in you and it makes it contagious for you. And the world is a better place because David Gibson's in it. The world's a better place because he's a preacher in it. And, and, and we preachers sometimes, we get jealous of each other and envious of each other and we kind of lash out at each other. I've never felt that. I know his eccentricities. Do you all know some of his eccentricities? He's a weird guy in some ways. He's got these strange things, but it all becomes, and I don't love him despite him, I love him because of those things. And I, 
And I think he's one of the most courageous, uh, delightful people to listen to. I also think that Valley View is what it is because they chose the right guy to be the first. And he set a foundation that whatever you think of him personally, if it weren't for him, this would be a totally different atmosphere that we have here. Still this many years later, it's still set up by him. And anytime I have a chance, anytime we have a chance, we need to call him back home and remember where we came from to appreciate where we are. He's now in Salem. I'll just say that. I've taken up too much of his time already, but he's going to go as long as he wants to go anyway. I've told him that, and, and you know him. He will anyway. He's in Salem, Arkansas now, but his home has always been Jonesboro. His heart is here. He loves Valley View, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to see it uh, because you, we need to hear from him. David, preach to us. What did he say? I heard something about I'd be dead pretty soon. That's about the only thing I heard. Thank you, Spencer. You're too kind. But you did say it just exactly like I told you to say it, and I appreciate that very much, brother. <coughs> well, I'm going to spend the first seven or eight minutes talking a little bit about the history of the church. I want everyone to look at their watches. I used to do this when I was the preacher here because you'll note that 45 minutes of the hour appointed is already gone. So uh, one of the members has already told me to preach only 15 minutes. I don't think we're going to accomplish that. Uh, Spencer said I could preach as long as I wanted to, but he, one of the elders told me, I won't mention his name, but his initials are Gary James, that that was just Spencer talking and that I needed to be quiet after a little while. So we'll try to find a compromise in between the two and have a wonderful afternoon together today. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, made of a woman made under the law. For 30 plus years, Churches of Christ in Jonesboro talked about a new church south of the bypass. And while they talked, nothing was done. Then in early 2004, a discussion ensued in an elders and deacons meeting at the Nettleton Church of Christ about this new work. Funds were appropriated because of the generosity of some who had left money to the church at Nettleton. And the elders of the church there asked some of the deacons to take the lead in the new church plant. Shortly thereafter, Danny Wallace called me to see if I would be interested in serving as the pulpit minister of the Valley View Church of Christ. And from a certain standpoint, the rest is history. And maybe for many of you whose faces I don't know, I noticed at the early service, we have a much bigger crowd than we had at the early service, although we had a very good crowd at the early service. I would say this is a very large crowd today, and we're thankful for that. By the way, we're thankful for the many visitors who might be here. And if you're visiting for the first time today, come back. Here's Spencer. Get to know the congregation and worship with them as often as you have the opportunity to. They are great people. The rest of the history, though, is not complete with that short statement. And I realize that, as Spencer said, some do not appreciate history, especially a history they might not have been a part of. But I hope you'll bear with me for a few minutes. We're going to have a prayer then, and then after the prayer, we're going to get to the lesson. What a history it was. The plant was needed, the time was right, the people were ready. Good people, faithful Christians looking for a fresh start. Ready for a church that was faithful to the Bible with a positive and happy spirit. And a happy people we were. 
and I believe a happy people you still are today. We made our mistakes along the line, but we move forward with the spirit of joy and determination. Determination to be better, to be what God would want the church here to be, to be a bright and shining light on this hill. And God blessed us in that endeavor. The uh, history that was put together says we had 172 at the first service. In my mind, we had 174, but we won't quibble over two. But 172 or four soon turned into 250 and then turned into 400 in attendance. Walls were moved. Auditoriums were rearranged, junior. Trailers were moved in. And then it wasn't too long until a second service was started. That was followed by the appointment of a truly great eldership. Sometimes when you see things happen, you wonder about them a little. And in retrospect, and because... I feel I can say this now. When our first eldership was appointed, I wondered how they would jive together. But they did. They didn't always see everything eye to eye, but they settled the problems that they had between themselves and the elders' meetings so that the church didn't have to settle them in division later on. And they were a great group of men who loved and cared about each other and had the interest of the church always at heart. And even though their personalities were different, in retrospect, I see that God must have put those men in place. It wasn't long until great deacons were to follow, and then our first secretary, Jean Harris, was hired. For those of you that did not know Jean Harris, you have missed a real treasure in life. She was ably assisted by volunteers like Martha Rampey, who we remember today, who passed from this life just a few days ago after a long and difficult battle with cancer. And also Becky Mulholland, who showed her volunteer services at the same time. These ladies were a bright and shining influence in my life and encouraged me greatly as the work began and encouraged this church in ways that you cannot imagine. I especially want to focus for just a minute on, on Jean. Jean was a prince, a princess of a lady, a, a beautiful person inside and out. And she had such experience, and I believe God brought her to this position after many, many, many years of serving as a church secretary at the Southwest Church of Christ. And what an encouragement she was. What a help she was. What a grounding she was. I told the people earlier in the first service that one time I was sort of mumbling to myself back in my office I think I kind of wanted Jean to hear, but I really didn't want Jean to hear. I was on one end of the trailer, she's on the other end of the trailer, and there was a classroom between. Finally, I got all the mumbling that I wanted to do to myself about something that wasn't going particularly well that day for me. And there was total silence when I got quiet for about five seconds. And then I didn't see her, but I heard her voice, her sweet but now motherly and stern voice coming from the other end of the trailer. Now, David, that was all that needed to be said. Those of you that knew Jean, I took my medicine like a good boy, and I acted right the rest of the day. She had a great influence on me. A lot of people don't know that Jean would talk to whoever came by through the whole course of the day, and if that meant not getting her work done, she would work 
from 5 to 6, from 6 to 7, from 7 to 8 if it needed to be done. And on occasion, you'd find Bill coming to pick her up at 9 o'clock tonight at night to take her to Wendy's to get a hamburger. She certainly set the bar high for all the great secretaries who have followed. What a team this was. We loved each other. They loved me, and I loved them. And I will never forget the relationship we bore to one another in those old days just up the road in the trailers out behind the Knights of the Columbus building. For some of you that uh, may not uh, know much about the Knights of Columbus or remember our running joke, we were the first Church of Christ in the Brotherhood who had a full bar in the basement. Many attributed our great success not to me or the elders or anyone else, but to the fact that that was there. I'm not sure about that. I want to also acknowledge a few other people today, and two of them are Terry Smith and Randy Simpkins, because they've had a greeter's ministry that began in the old building, continued here, and it may not be continuing now, I don't know, but I know that for as long as I've been coming back until this point, you could depend that there might be others helping them, but there would always be Terry at one door, and there would always be Randy at the other door. In the old building, they'd be together. No one put this programmer ministry together. No one asked them to do this. They just did it. And then when we came to the new building, I think we all assumed, well, it's a great big building, and so we'll learn to get around like big churches do. And we put together a greeters program, and they did good. But Randy and, and Terry kept on greeting, kept on flipping the kids upside down when they would meet them, kept on carrying umbrellas to people that were walking in in the rain. I'm telling you, folks, that is a ministry that if we spend thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on ministries that often don't do one bit of good in the body of Christ because they're not well thought through and they're not well actuated. Now, many are, but many are not. If we would get men who would stand out there and do what those men have done, I believe it was one of the most impressive things in the life of this church because you didn't leave this building or come in this building without their shaking your hands and telling you how glad they were and soon knowing exactly who you were. They greeted you with a friendly smile and a warm handshake. Only heaven will reveal the great good they have done in blessing this church. Then it was time for a new facility. Junior McDaniel's firm was contracted to build the facility. Junior's back there tonight with his good wife, Glenda. Junior worked tirelessly and with pride in his work to deliver a beautiful and functional new building ahead of schedule. And I have been thankful for the relationship that I have borne to him throughout that time. Does that mean Junior and I always got along? No, I think there were a lot of times he wanted to hit me in the head with a two-by-four. I think there were a couple times he got very close to doing that. But we both had the same interest, and that was the welfare and good of this church. And Junior, you're largely responsible for this being able to be the beautiful building that it is and being finished in a prompt way and just letting us get in here and do the thing that we needed to do, which was to worship and praise God in this beautiful, beautiful facility. And we thank you for that. There were a thousand plus people at the first service. I don't know if we've had a thousand plus since. Maybe we have, maybe we've not. I've not been at every service. After that, we sort of settled down. That 400 that was meeting in the new building against every code of every fire marshal that has ever existed soon moved up here and became 450, and then they became 550 and then they became 550 and then they became 600 and on occasion 750 or 700 
and everyone had a spirit of love and concern for one another. Our first youth minister was Michael Meredith. I'm not going to mention all the past ministers. They're in the booklet that's been provided you. But I am going to mention a few today, a few first. Our first youth minister was Michael Meredith. He set the bar high. Our first associate minister was Jay Allen. Jay was from the north and a little different than the rest of us. But in a special way, we loved Jay and appreciated many of the things he brought to life in the church here. And our first children's minister was Charlotte Swan. I don't think Charlotte is here today. I bragged on her mom, who's worked side by side with her, and how that she was the perfect person to be that children's minister. She had a dad that was a preacher, and she had a mom that was always ready to help her, and she had a whole passel of kids that were ready to show her the things that were most important to children. And we had a little running saying around here, some of us did, when I was first the preacher here, and for several years thereafter, maybe you still do. And that little running saying was, we love the children. And I know most of you are young people and not children, but to the degree that you have childhood left in you, we love the children. And this church has always been a place that loved young people and loved children. And Charlotte added to that in a great degree. And of all the first we had, the first minister, the first associate minister, the first youth minister, all who did what they could, when they could, to help this church. Only Charlotte is the first left. She's the first and only children's coordinator this church has ever had, and she has blessed it in ways that I could not begin to speak of today. And now, Spencer Furby serves as pulpit minister of this church. I believe, and we're not having a brag fest here, he did not tell me to say this as I did him, one, he is one of, if not the finest preacher in the land. And you're extremely blessed to have him. And I believe that he was prepared by God to come to the kingdom at Valley View at the right time. And along with the present staff will lead this church to newer and greater heights. Always raise his hands, always lift him up, as well as the other ministers who serve in this church. And the church will be blessed because of that. Spencer held a meeting at Valley View a few, I mean, at, at Salem where I preach a few weeks ago. I was overseas in Romania, and I hated that I had to miss that. In that meeting, many of the people were so impressed with his preaching that they wanted to hire him away from you. Of course, I knew that couldn't happen and wouldn't happen. But they also found out, what a, he called me a weird guy. He said something about me being weird a while ago. Well, I, I ain't got any weirdness beat on him, not a lick. They took him fishing, and then they came back from the fishing trip. My dear friend that's the best fisherman in the world, and he said, you need to tell that guy to stick to his preaching job. I have no idea what happened in that boat. <laughs> a few days later, one of the elders is going to West Plains, Missouri, and we have a large group of Amish who live there. And as they're going down the road, the Amish are coming down the road in their wagon pulled by their horse, and there sits Spencer between the Amish in the wagon. <laughs> I love you too. This is where I couldn't hardly read my notes this morning. It's happened to me again. Oh, along the way, for me personally, and I haven't said much about me personally, and I don't want to say much about me personally, 
But along the way, there were a couple things I, I did want to note. Along the way, sometimes I felt like my ministry here was like a family reunion. Jennifer knows what I'm talking about. Shirley knows what I'm talking about. The Phippses know what I'm talking about. The Gibsons know what I'm talking about, and countless others. Because people who had worshipped at churches that I had served in the past, or their kinfolk, came and were a part of the Valley View Church. And that was such a blessing to me to see people that I had known and loved at other times of my life come and be a part of this work. And it's still a blessing today to think about that. It's pretty neat when you can go to church every Sunday morning and feel like you've been a part of a family reunion. But you know, I also met many new people. This morning I knew about 80% of the crowd. I'm going to say this afternoon I know about 50 or 60% of the crowd. A lot of you I do not know. I'm thankful that you've come here to work in this good church too and we'll put up with my few minutes of reminiscing before we get to the lesson. You say your 15 minutes is up. I'm going to get on to the lesson. There were so many great people that I had not known before who came to be such an intricate part of my life and made such a difference. And I'm just going to run through a list, and it, it, it won't take me but just a second to do that. The coffee shop gang. Leo Bartholomew, my friend. Rufus Stedman, my fishing buddy and counselor. Jim Craft, who recently passed away in his 90s, who every Sunday morning when he would leave the assembly would come by me and shake my hand and say, Nice try, David. Better luck next week. <laughs> and then James Sanders, who would had right the opposite approach and would come by and say, Good sermon, preacher. We appreciate what you do. So we had a little bit of everything going on there. I learned so much from these people from the, not only the people that I'd known before, but the new people I met. I want to tell you a little story real quick about Jim Craft. The first person to die as a member of this church was a man named A.B. Rogers. He was probably in his late 70s or early 80s, and Jim was about his age. As he was in the hospital facing his last day, I was visiting one day, and Jim Craft came into that room. And he taught me more about compassion in that next five minutes than I had learned throughout my entire years of ministry. Because Jim Craft leaned over his old friend A.B. Rogers and he said, A.B., it's all right. You can go on now, brother. We'll see each other again before very long. And as he said those words, tears ran down his cheek and dropped onto the bed sheet that covered A.B. up. They held hands, they prayed, and A.B. soon left this world. It was an unbelievably poignant moment in my life. To brighter things, though, let me be very quick. Evelyn's Coconut Cream Pie, Earlene's Dumplings, Madden's Barbecue, Wilfred Fisher's Prayers, David Holbrook's Poems, and the many, many, many others that I do not have time to mention who have truly blessed my life. To all of you, I say thank you. And I love this church. But then that's not anything new. I love every church that I've ever had the blessing to work for because they have been good to me. And young men, there's not anything better you could do than to 
pledge your life to the proclamation of the gospel. And I hope under Spencer's leadership you'll have that opportunity to do that as you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the day. We've been talking about the past, and I think that's important, Father. But we also want to take this time to mention the future. And we pray for this church. We pray for the churches of your people all over this city and all over this world. That they will grow, that they will be strong, that they will be faithful, that they will find love for each other, that they will be community and family as mentioned earlier. That they will be kind and benevolent and loving. That they will be true to your word. That they will be grace-oriented and not be bound in legalism. That they will truly, truly be a bright and shining light in a city that is set on a hill. Bless especially the Valley View Church today in this their 15th year. And may their next 15 years, Lord, put to shame anything that those of us who might have had a part in the first 15 have done. And may it all be to your glory and to your honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and amen. What time is it? I had a fine young lady. I don't know how old she was. She wasn't really young, but I asked her. She was my timekeeper this morning. Wesley, I'm not going to have to trade her for you, am I? What time is it, Wes? 3.03. Well, she got me started preaching at uh, 19 till. <laughs> well, some of you heard this lesson this morning, but most of you didn't. Let me see if I can shorten it a little. I don't know if I can or not. Normally it goes about two hours, Tony. Who is, if you, if you know, and you weren't here this morning, if you're here this morning, don't raise your hand. Who is Mildred Stutzman? All right, some of you Grace Point people, I preached this lesson, you've already forgot it. You know, Spencer, they remember every word you ever say. I mean... Especially when you mess up. All right. Well, you may not know who Mildred Stutzman is now, but you will before the service is over today. And I suspect there's some Mildred Stutzmans in this church as well as in every church of God's people. I'm going to read a rather lengthy reading from a book entitled Children Mean the World to God. Don't get nervous. It's not a 30-minute reading, but it's the lengthiest reading I have. It's the story of the man who wrote the book, Children Mean the World to God. And as a church that's always appreciated children, I hope you'll not only appreciate this story based on our young people, but also based on its more poignant message as to our outreach among people for Jesus. The writer says, Anyone observing me when I was 12 years old would not have suspected the turmoil on the inside. I was trying to find God. Our family was totally unchurched. My only church experience came from the two vacation Bible schools I attended each summer. One was at the Church of the Brethren. They met in the basement under the store on Main Street in our mid-sized town. Every summer the Brethren invited us to VBS. Every summer my sisters and I would go. Every year that was it. Nothing more from the Church of the Brethren until next year. The other VBS was at the Church of Christ, located at the end of our street. They had better cookies than the brethren, and they had more fun. 
The leader would hide the attendance figure from the previous day at the front of the church building, and we would all have to try to find it. We would stay up the night before, wondering where he had hid it and what the numbers were. Every summer, the Church of Christ invited us to the VBS. My two older sisters and I would go, and then that was it. Nothing more from the Church of Christ until the next summer. My feelings of being forgotten intensified. By the time I was 12, I knew enough about God from VBS to yearn for more, but I didn't know what to do. I hadn't read the Bible. I had no church-going adults to imitate. It was a long time until the next VBS. Besides that, VBS was such a busy time, I wasn't sure my questions would be appropriate. My confusion and isolation made me wonder where all this God stuff would lead me. I remember feeling alone in the whole matter. The questions about God were so hard to answer. I wanted somebody to teach me, to help me understand what I was supposed to do. All the adults around me either seemed to have no interest in these questions or no interest in me. It was as though I'd been taken to the front door of the house and put out on my own. I felt forgotten. Anybody with a box of religious answers would have satisfied my curiosity and answered my questions. I could have easily become, as easily become a Jew or a Mormon or a Catholic. But none of them had vacation Bible school in my city. This is the story of Harold Shank. I'm not as proficient or prolific a reader as I believe Spencer is. But this is a book that had a great deal of impact upon me because it helped to me to see that children were not the future of the church. Children were an integral part of the church. Harold Shank was the former minister of the Highland Church in Memphis. He had served as a gospel preacher for many years prior to that. A doctor of biblical studies, proficient in the Hebrew language, author of many, many books, including the one I have just mentioned and read from, Children Mean the World to God. He has recently retired as president of Ohio Valley Christian University. He lacked the mentors that he needed in his life. Most of us haven't. I know I didn't. As a young man, I had many questions about God, like he did, but I had several people who influenced me in my life. My mother, later Floyd Winningham, who baptized me into Christ. My next-door neighbor, Aubrey Caldwell, who who on Wednesday night and Sunday night came and took me to church at Fisher Street when I was a little boy. Glenn and Iris Swindle, who when I became a teenager, and they're both here today, put me on a joy bus and said, go to work, son. And I learned to love people who were not as clean or not as nice or not as well behaved as I was. And I'd heard I wasn't very well behaved, but I was doing better by that time. Because there was one other person in my life named William Hull. And when I was 11 or 12 years old, he resigned as the preacher of the Fisher Street Church of Christ. And that morning, he'd never said a word to me about obeying the gospel. That morning, as I went by him, he shook my hand and he said in his booming voice, by the way, he was about this tall and about this round, he said, David, would you like to be baptized this morning? I just hung my head. I said, no, not now, Brother Hull. Sometimes we think we have no influence in this world. I don't know what Brother Hull thought that day. But six or seven years later, 
when Floyd baptized me in the Nettleton Baptistry under the preaching of Harvey Starling in a room, a building packed with people that night. I remembered William Hull, and I remember his question to me. And I still remember him today, as is evident by this lesson. These people all seized opportunities to share Jesus and to improve the church where they worship. All the ones I've mentioned in my life, and you have many in your life that you could mention. Harold Shank didn't have much of anyone in his life that he could mention. These were all people who were looking for every opportunity for Christ, who were in the words of the title of this sermon, seizing every opportunity for Christ. And they seized what they found. And they used it to help people understand how much God loved them through Jesus' Son and how much they wanted them to have what they had. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of everlasting life. Do you have that this afternoon? This is my challenge to you. To look for every opportunity for Christ. And when you see those opportunities to seize them, how many I have missed, and I'll miss some more. You've missed a lot too, but the grace of God will be large enough to cover that. What we want to do though is find those opportunities as best we can and miss fewer of them. Because every person we can influence for Jesus is another soul. Makes me, I didn't have this in the morning sermon, makes me so mad when I hear preachers say that if a church is growing it must be doing something wrong. Well the early church must have been doing something wrong then because they were growing and growing and growing. We're not interested in growing so that we can brag on our numbers or tell how great we are. We're interested in growing because every single accountable adult and every little child who is yet to become an accountable adult means a soul for eternity. Don't forget that, young people. Do better than we did. I believe in you. I believe in you. The result is changed lives and thriving churches. This challenge is not new, though. It's part and parcel of the Word of God. Someone says, well, I hadn't heard of Scripture yet. Well, get ready. Here come you some. In Romans 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus told the apostles and all who would follow later, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God sent His Son to die for people that didn't care anything about Him. That's how much He loved us. He, had, he commissioned His people to go to the entire world to do what they could, when they could, to preach the gospel. Jesus Himself would say in John 9, 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is yet day, for the night is coming when no man can work. And that wonderful verse in Colossians 4 and verse 5, be wise in, in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. End quote. <clears throat> Shank. 
The confusion mounted in my mind throughout my sixth grade year. Finally, the Church of Christ VBS came around again. The teacher was a nice gray-haired woman named Mildred Stutzman. After VBS, Mildred took me aside. I couldn't figure out why she wanted to talk to me. I was just a little kid from the neighborhood who went to VBS in the summer. She explained to me that she also had a sixth grade class on Sunday morning, and it met in the same room, and some of the same children that were in VBS were in her class. And then she invited me to attend. I remember being amazed at what Mildred was asking me. In the grand scheme of things, I wasn't important. I was just a naive child who never went to church. But I was struggling with the God question, wondering where I would get answers. Then a voice came to me asking me to come to a place where those questions might be discussed. God heard my cry and answered them through Mildred Stutzman. So I started going to Sunday school and staying for church. And that was good for me. It became clear to me that the invitation was always open to become a part of Jesus' family. It became part of God's people. If I did, I understood that I would not be alone in my search for Him anymore. Two years later, with a great deal of thinking about this God stuff, I told the preacher, this is what I want. I want Jesus in my life. I want my life in this church. I became a Christian. Friends, Mildred Stutzman had what I call big eyes for Jesus. And I'm not talking about a bug-eyed fella, but I'm talking about a person who has a vision for Jesus every day, who, who sees with great big eyes the things that are all about them, who sees the opportunities that people present to them, and they seize upon those opportunities. What if Mildred Stutzman had never stopped Harold Shank? Let us find those in need of the Lord and bring them to Him. Invite everyone you know to come to be a part of your church family, whether it be here or at some other place. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your kids, invite your co-workers, invite total strangers. Open a conversation and a dialogue with them, and it will make all the difference in the world. They will listen when we... Show them loving interest. Do not hide. Do not be afraid. Do not try to teach before you love. Be joyous in work and worship because the last thing anybody wants to do is come down to a church that has as many problems as they already have in their unsaved life. They want to come to a place where people are happy and smiling and hugging one another and praying for one another. And when they see that, if they see that, if they just have the opportunity, many of them will become Christians. Love the Lord, people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Because of time, I'm not going to quote the verse. Love the church. Paul talked a lot in 2 Corinthians 11 about persecutions. He had suffered beatings, thirstings, hungerings, being run out of town, terrible persecutions, whippings. Then he came to chapter 11 and verse 28 of 2 Corinthians, and he said, And besides all of that, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. 
the care of all the churches. We ought to care about one another in the church. Love the Lord, love the church, and love the congregation where you worship. Love this church if you are a member here, warts and all, and there will be some warts. In doing so, we can change our world and the church for the better. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, and especially to the household of faith. Shank. Mildred heard the cry of one spiritually lonely child. By giving attention to that boy, she was the conduit by which God changed his life. By listening to one child, Mildred set in motion a series of events that have influenced many people. When we change the way we treat children, and when we change the way we look at the lost out in the world, that's my line. We change the church for the better, and we change the world for Jesus. If you're here this afternoon, and you are not yet a Christian, what in the world is keeping you from it? The baptistry's ready, the garments are ready, there's a heaven to be gained, there's a hell to be avoided. There are people who love you and care about you and want you to be right with God. If you've been, and if you've been thinking about that, we'd like for you to come this afternoon. Wouldn't that finish our day in such a great way? That's not why we want you to come. We want you to come because you're stricken by the fact that you have sinned and you have not yet made amends for those sins. And they weigh on your record. But Jesus can obliterate every one of those sins. He can forget them. He can wash them in His blood. And He can make you as though you have never sinned before. And He can keep you in His grace. And He can save you in heaven. And along the way, He can give you a life that the world can only promise, but never once deliver on. If you're here today, today is the appointed day. Today is the day of salvation. And you want to become a Christian, we invite you to step out in the aisle and come right now as together we stand and sing.